0: Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us today to discuss the fourth January 6th select committee hearing, Nick Ackerman, former Watergate special prosecutor. Good morning, Nick. How are you? Thank you so much for being here.
1: Good morning. I'm terrific. Great to be here.
0: We um, were sort of talking through, and I again, I went to law school, but I don't ever, I didn't practice, so I'm not a lawyer. Um, but I was going through some some of the things that I thought <laughs> were important right. um, from yesterday's hearing, um, and I want to actually talk through the legal significance of some of these things um, because I think that at the end of the day, you know, the committee is doing their work in laying this case out, but I think their audience um, is us, but also. <laughs> Merrick Garland at the Department of Justice. And one of the things that really stuck out is this line from a Rusty, um, or it was Brad Raffensperger who actually said this line, we followed the law, we followed the constitution. And that's, I think the top line is we keep in mind um, about yesterday's testimony from three Republicans um, who all talked about the pressure campaign and this fake elector scheme. So that's where I actually wanna start. What, help us understand this fake elector scheme and how these three officials sort of fit into this larger story that we're learning about how Donald Trump tried to overturn the election?
1: Well, I I think what happened was that they tried to uh, set up a set of alternate electors such that um, these fake electors would sign forms, which they did. um, And the plot was basically to present these to Vice President Pence uh, during the counting on January 6th. Uh, and count those instead of the real electors or use it as a basis to send it back to the state legislatures to ask them to decide which one is valid i mean i think that was the whole purpose behind it um, but i think what's of real significance here is that the proof that came out yesterday showed that donald trump was behind both of these schemes mm. um you know it was very brief on on the electoral scheme in the sense that uh, Rona Daniels, who is the chairman yep. of the Republican National Committee, um, she testified on, on a video very briefly that she was called by Donald Trump, um, and then you know, and asked to help John Eastman with these electors, and so he Donald Trump then put John Eastman on the phone. But that was extremely significant because it put Donald Trump as the coordinator of this plot, just as the. Um, committee promised in the beginning that they would show that he was uh, the guy who was manipulating this, organizing it, and directing it. And um, that is pretty significant proof. As short as it was, it does show that he had knowledge of it and that he was directing it and that he was, in a sense, blessing what Eastman was going to ask about putting together these um, phony uh, you know, electors for each of the battleground states. So that's pretty important. Um, and certainly with respect to the pressure um, on uh, Randy Bowers and on um, uh, Mr. um, that was Donald Trump himself, basically <laughs> trying to pressure both of these people. Uh, and th- the pressure was so obvious. I mean, if you take the tape recorded conversation of Trump and Raffensburger and you compare it to the testimony of Bowers, I mean, basically, it was the same game plan that Mm. Trump was using. You know, they got dead people to vote. They got um, illegal immigrants to vote. Oh, you're a Republican. You got to stick by a Republican. Um, Basically, threatening, cajoling uh, both of these people uh, on the same basis. I mean, it wasn't like he had any kind of evidence. In fact, Um, What you have to give Mr. Bowers really credit for was saying, you know, show me the beef. Where's where's the evidence here? Uh, uh, What is it that you're saying? And the best they could come up with was Rudy Giuliani saying, (laughs) well, there's no evidence, but we have a lot of theories. Yes, Um, that's my favorite. One of my favorite quotes from yesterday. We don't (laughs) have no
0: evidence. We just we just have theories. We'll give vibes. (laughs) We have feelings. Right. Right. So, I mean, what you have is, yeah, I mean, you got,
1: on both of these counts, you got Donald Trump, you know, involved and and directing it. So to me, that's the big takeaway from yesterday is that, you know, everybody was wondering, well, what did Trump know about these phony electors? Well, now we know he knew and that he was directing it and he was doing all these things at the same time. I mean, he was, he was essentially pressuring state um, legislators to try to get them to, uh, reverse the election. He was trying to get these phony electors in place, um, and I think we're going to see the, this tomorrow. Uh, at the same time, he was trying to get the Department of Justice uh, to basically say that the election was fraudulent. So he was—he was very busy. The
0: question is, he wasn't. He definitely wasn't governing. He was definitely not governing in this moment as president because um, no. he was still technically. Uh, the, the president the, in this moment. In terms of the timeline of this, you know, one of the things I thought was a, a, sort of important in, in the presentation of it, and I think we'd heard the tape of Brad Raffensperger on the phone with Donald Trump before, but I think the way that they presented it yesterday was actually really powerful in that they kept sort of contextualizing the pieces. So they would ask him a question, they'd sort of back it up with the tape, they'd ask him a question, you know, so it was sort of... um you know, powerful in its impact. But the call, I sometimes forget, happened right before the insurrection. Is that is is that significant in terms of the larger story? Because we started talking about the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers and their movement with the Capitol, not going to the rally, and they've been charged with the seditious conspiracy. But I think it's important to note, um, you know, that while they were doing all of that, you know, Donald Trump is on the on the telephone pressuring folks sort of on, on the administrative side. Um, yeah, all and pressuring his vice
1: president as yeah. well. Look, the whole thing was geared towards the goal, the, the, the corrupt goal here was to stop the vote count on January 6th um, and send it back to the states so they had more time and they could create a constitutional crisis by having the state legislatures. Um, vote for a different set of electors other than those that were elected by the people in those states. That's what they were trying to do. And when it became clear that um, Vice President Pence wasn't going to go along with the program, uh, the one way that they could basically stop the vote was through violence, Mm -hmm. by storming the Capitol, by basically creating the havoc that they did uh, to try and just stop the vote so they could then use the stopping of the vote as an excuse to try and get legislators in these various battleground states to come up with an opposing set of electors. I mean, that's what they tried to do. That's what the whole purpose of the violence was. Um, So I I, I think we can't think for a moment that the violence that was created on January 6th wasn't somehow related to this whole scheme. It was all a natural consequence of Vice President Pence telling him, no, I don't have the power to do this. and I'm not going to do it. Um, And so the only way they could stop it was to create this mayhem and violence. And to Vice President Pence's credit, um, he refused to go with the Secret Service in a car in order to get away from the Capitol at the time uh, because he wanted to continue and finish the job because he knew that this was their goal. There's no question. He knew. Um, that's what they were trying to do. I mean, he was, he was right in the middle of this pressure. So um, it, it's, this was all, and, and it's obvious, this was all orchestrated by Donald Trump and he knew what he was doing.
0: In terms of the legal account, like liability for this conduct, what, what, what statutes are triggered by this conduct? I know in Georgia we have Fannie Willis investigating this call specifically um, and, I, you know, my question is sort of like, is the call in and of itself evidence of a crime? Um,
1: oh, no question about it. I mean, it's the best evidence you could possibly have because it's tape recorded. I mean, what's nice is um, in, in Georgia, you've got two really good witnesses, Brad Raffensberger, the secretary of state, and you've got the um, governor of Georgia, who was also pressured. Uh, to decertify the vote after he certified it for Biden and also uh, pressured to try and call the state legislature in session in order to um, come up with a a separate um, slate of electors. Uh, And on both counts, he didn't go along with Donald Trump. And we didn't hear from him yesterday, but that's certainly uh, what happened. And when you put all of that testimony in with a tape recording that mm. basically corroborates it. I mean, this is probably the most powerful case that's out there right now um, in prosecuting Donald Trump. You've got a, a, a crime in Georgia for soliciting, uh, criminal solicitation of election fraud, uh, which carries with it a three year uh, sentence of imprisonment. Um, so if I had to pick any one case that is probably the strongest, it's that case, because you can then put into evidence All of the facts that um, surround this, including the phony electors, the effort to uh, pressure Trump, the effort to pressure election workers, the effort to pressure election officials, all that evidence comes in to show uh, motive, intent, uh, pattern uh, with respect to this Georgia crime. Um, Now, you know, you've also got some federal crimes here. Mm -hmm. You've got a, a... a scheme to defraud the government. You've got, um, you know, possibly uh, this seditious conspiracy. Uh, you've got an obstruct, an effort to obstruct Congress and counting the electoral vote. Um, and what we're finding is that there is evidence of Donald Trump's um, knowledge and intent with respect to all of these. Now, again, um, there are some issues, you know, evidentiary issues and I suppose, legal arguments that uh, he can raise. And I think we often recognize that it's very important that whatever case is brought, uh, the proof has to be beyond a reasonable doubt uh, because you don't want to bring a weak case against someone like Donald Trump, who's a former president, because if he's not convicted and is acquitted, he's going to come out of this stronger than ever. So (laughs) you've got to be very careful as to which of these cases you pick. And on top of it all, Uh, Merrick Garland, in some ways, has a a serious conflict here in the sense that he's appointed by Joe Biden. Uh, The person he would be deciding to prosecute uh, is someone at this stage who is considered to be uh, the chief rival to Joe Biden in the next presidential election. Uh, And there's going to be a concern that, well, he's going after Donald Trump in order to eliminate him from the presidential race. It's kind of like the same issue that came up with Donald Trump. Uh, when he was trying to eliminate Joe Biden from the 2020 race by um, basically strong-arming President Zelensky in Ukraine to get him to open up an investigation into Joe Biden and his son Hunter. So there is a conflict there. And I mean, that is not insurmountable in the sense that he could wind up uh, bringing in a special prosecutor that would be totally independent. Mm -hmm. Um, in the same way that Archibald Cox was totally independent from the Department of Justice, which means he couldn't use that ridiculous um, uh, regulation that currently exists for appointing a special counsel. Um, But that's one way to get rid of it and uh, the conflict. And then, of course, he still could be in a position um, to charge, investigate and charge all of the other individuals um, that were involved in the insurrection. And they could still do that, you know, absent Donald Trump. So. Um, Merrick Garland's got a, a, a conflict problem here, um, that has to be dealt with. And, and part of that, I mean, maybe that he just decides, um, as they do with so many cases to defer to, um, Georgia, a state, mm. you know, state prosecution and say, look, we're, we're deferring prosecution here. We're not prosecuting, uh, because Georgia certainly has a major interest under the guidelines in the department of justice. Um, This is a proper thing to do. It's done all the time. Um, And you look at whether or not the other jurisdiction has a legitimate basis uh, or interest in the case. And certainly Georgia does, because Donald Trump was trying to basically interfere with their election process uh, and whether or not they have the ability to prosecute it. It certainly seems like they do. The D.A. in Fulton County, she seems like a pretty qualified person who has done sophisticated, uh, complicated RICO cases in the past. Um, and, you know, whether or not uh, the punishment uh, is adequate and certainly here, the punishment uh, would be three years in prison. You're not going to get much more than that, probably in any other prosecution. Mm-hmm. So I think Merrick Garland could uh, legitimately defer to, um, to Georgia and say, look, we're not going to prosecute Donald Trump. I've got a conflict. Uh, and Georgia is perfectly capable of, of carrying this prosecution ahead.
0: It didn't occur again, to me all... that that may be one of the ways that this plays out. Right. And I, I, I mean, that's one of the ways it probably should play out. Interesting. And I, one of the things that I, questions I've always had is, you know, if if there is no prosecution, I think there's a lot of people who sort of live through the Mueller investigation and, um, you know, are not they're not holding their hopes high that there's going to be some sort of accountability here because of that experience. Um, and I get that. Um. But in terms, yeah, of- But the
1: Mueller investigation was was really manipulated by Trump. Um, the problem was, if Mueller was appointed under this special counsel regulation, that gave justice power over Mueller, which allowed them to threaten to fire him, uh, fire him and his you know his prosecutors, and in the end allowed Barr to basically um, put a spin on the report that was filled with criminality, but Barr portrayed it as some kind of exoneration. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then look at he also used that crazy special counsel regulation uh, to appoint John Durham, um, right? That right. was also manipulated um, to come up with this crazy case against Michael Sussman, which you know wound up in a and an acquittal and should never have been brought in the first place. And you know Durham was appointed secretly, and then after Trump lost the election, it was suddenly announced he was special counsel, so it would have to continue over into the Biden administration. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that was manipulated. we got to be very careful how, how this is done the next time.
0: Yeah, it's really important to keep in mind. I mean, I I, I always think about timelines. And as I said, you know, that call with Raffensperger is on January the 3rd. Um, we also saw um, two pieces, two, two other witnesses that I wanted to ask you about. The first is Cassie Hutchinson, because you had been on last week um, after the first uh, hearing, Uh, talking about you know who could potentially be the John Dean in this particular uh, January 6th committee hearings a la Watergate Um, and you had mentioned Cassidy Hutchinson who was Mark Meadows chief of staff and we finally saw her for the first time in deposition testimony that they played during the committee hearings can you talk a bit about Cassidy Hutchinson do you think that she may be um, you know there are a lot of people that are showing up in these deposition tapes, um, you know, who are who are saying really significant things in terms of the evidence. But I think it's um, important to sort of hear from these senior staff people who were, you know, the, the executors of the, this plot. Right. I mean, the, the senior staff people are telling them, the staff or the, the person. Oh, absolutely. And they were, they, they were telling they were, them what to do.
1: Sure. And they were present for all of this stuff. Right. Now, look, we don't know I mean to say that someone's going to be the John Dean. It turns out we got lots of John Deans. We got lots of
0: John Deans. <laughs> Actually, maybe <laughs> yeah, that's the, this that's is, the point.
1: <laughs> yeah, this this is not like the Watergate hearings where it was almost like a continuing investigation. You got to keep in mind those hearings started in June of 1973. The committee was formed, you know, a month or two before that at best. Um, you had Republicans on that committee that were defending Richard Nixon. Um, not, not even close to being the same kind of hearing as this. And it turns out they came up with one significant witness who wound up laying it all out and then was later corroborated by tape recordings that, that um, were uncovered. Um, this is different. Every single one of these people is an insider um, in the Trump White House or, or involved in the Trump campaign. And they're all laying it out, um, you know, as to what they saw from their perspective. Um, And as the committee said from the beginning, you know, this is a six or seven part, you know, scheme, uh, and they're going through each element of it. And, you know, different people were witnesses to different parts. And Watergate was really focused on the break-in at the Watergate, the Democratic National Committee, and focused on the cover-up. Here, you've got like a a scheme to basically stop the peaceful transfer of power, um, but through... You know, seven different ways to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's <mean, laughs>
1: basically what it was.
0: It's a, um, it's a very. I mean, for, for all the folks who, who don't, um, you know, think that Donald Trump can, can do complicated, um, I think this is this this belies that um, he actually can do complicated when it's you know the the goal for him is to stay president. So it doesn't matter, of course. Who, you know, in which way he, he's able to do that. He's just trying every single way possible. Is it significant, um, do you think, that you have Donald Trump actually, like, his voice, right? We had, up until this point, I mean, we heard a little bit of, they're using Trump, obviously, lying over and over again about the election, about the fraud at rallies, and ob- obviously January 6th rally itself. Um, but do you think it's significant that you have— you have Donald Trump on tape doing the thing that everybody's testifying that he's done. Like going back to oh, having him on tape absolutely. committing the crime. Do you think that Sure It's like playing I mean, it's you're gonna, like playing the Nixon tape at the hearing? Right? Oh, definitely.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, look at you've got if, if there's ever gonna be a criminal prosecution of Donald Trump, you have to put knowledge and intent in his mind. Uh, and clearly, they put knowledge with respect to the uh, phony electors yesterday and certainly put knowledge um, overwhelmingly with tape-recorded evidence on the, the pressure on state officials. So, yes, I mean, all of that is extremely important, no question about it. But keep in mind, I mean, maybe giving Donald Trump too much credit for having engineered this whole thing, uh, there's another individual involved in this that we haven't really heard from them with respect to the committee which is uh, who is roger stone his kind of chief dirty trickster and political operative uh who was on the scene the day before on january 5th with the proud boys um, and appears to have been sort of coordinating a lot of this Uh, we don't know exactly what his role was we know that he took the fifth amendment when he appeared before the committee uh, but he is clearly somebody who, um, you know, I, I'm interested in finding out what he knows and what the committee knows about him. We know that there are at least two pride boys and two oath keepers that are cooperating with the government in these two prosecutions. And the question is, you know, what have they told the U.S. government about Roger Stone? Mm.
0: I mean, do you th- I mean, given what you know about Roger Stone, is he smart enough to avoid doing something that would in you know, make him criminally liable. It feels like he's, you know, he's always there. You know, the nickname is the Forrest Gump of American politics for a reason. In terms of the dirty tricks, he's always like in the background of the photo, but he's, you know, not. He got. I mean, the closest we got was he did get prosecuted in the Mueller probe, and then he was pardoned. So it just feels like, right? You know, he's always able to get away with it. He's an escape artist. <laughs>
1: Well, at least he was an escape artist on, on that one. Um, but the question is, what is the proof that they have on Roger Stone's involvement? I mean, he he clearly was there. There was a, a, some kind of a, a film crew that actually taped him uh, in the course of all this. We don't know what all of that says. We don't know what these cooperating witnesses are saying about him. I mean, look at Roger Stone, um, hung himself in that last prosecution by having um, emails that he sent to people and texts, mm-hmm. and uh, there was testimony against him and so the question is, do they have proof at this point about um, you know Roger Stone? Um, I mean that to me, he is a key person in this a key question, put it that way. I mean look at this is a guy who was involved in the Bush Gore with the um, the Brooks Brothers riot when they were counting the vote for that election. Um, he's always there. He was the guy who was communicating with the Russian cutout uh, Guccifer 2.0 with respect to the documents that were stolen, uh, hacked from the Democratic National Committee in the 2016 election. Um, I mean, he always is the person in the wrong place or the right place as the case might be in terms of the kind of the dirty work that's going on. We just don't know what the... Department of Justice knows, and we don't know yet what the committee has done with respect to him.
0: We only have one more minute here, but do you think that's a question that the Department of Justice is more likely to answer than the committee itself?
1: Oh, it very well could be. I mean, because look at the Department of Justice, it's a one-way street. Uh, They don't give information to the committee. The committee gives information to the Department of Justice. That's just the way our system works. And so you know that we've got four cooperating witnesses, two right. from the Proud Boys, two from the Oath Keepers, you know, what are they telling the prosecutors? We don't know. And the committee doesn't know that either. And they don't have access to those two witnesses. And they, I mean, they could try and subpoena them, but they're not going to interfere with the Department of Justice's right. um, prosecution. That
0: actually I mean, is we have a- this problem that, I think the fact that Roger Stone hasn't come up more times in the committee might be a signal that there is something there over at the DOJ because I think, I mean, when you're when you're talking about what's already been charged. And then you're sort of looking for right. that connecting piece. I mean, it's Roger Stone. <laughs> like That's right. We saw it's the, fr- the screen grab of his phone with Enrique Tarrio's name on it. Like, I don't have yeah. anybody who's been indicted for seditious conspiracy in my phone. Like, it's just not there. <laughs> I don't have messages you're to kidding. them on Signal. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, So right. somebody's got to be looking into that. I'm, I imagine oh, so. somewhere <laughs> let's 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 all hope um, Nick Ackerman it's always great to have you on to, to help us walk through everything with your experience from Watergate I feel like at the beginning of the Trump era I remember sort of thinking about like historical parallels and the only thing that I could do is say this is like Watergate and that was about the Mueller probe <laughs> and here we are right. this is where we are now yep. look at where we are we never hold it held anybody accountable the whole time <laughs> And we had a whole insurrection. Nick, thank you so much for being here. Um, It's always great to talk to you. Please stay safe.
1: Great to be here. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.